Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Persians, the podcast. Last night we ended just as the chorus spotted the Queen arriving on the stage. In this period of terrible uncertainty that the chorus introduced, we now have a figure of authority who comes out to speak to the people. What happens if the news continues to be bad or gets worse? How are we to proceed? How many have died and what must we do to prevent further deaths? These questions feel almost shockingly timely right now. I spoke with the Greek actress Lydia Konyordou, who has played Atossa, the Queen, in two productions of the Persians at the Theatre of Epidaurus for the National Theatre of Greece. She's also been Greece's Minister for Culture and she's a real expert on this play. Given the fact that the ruler is absent and when she says the I, the I is absent, the I is the ruler, is the boss. When the boss is absent, uh, she is there during the absence of her son. She is she is Asia. She is Persia. She's the mother bee. She's like a totem, you know, like a, the most uh, important person given the fact that her son, and it's her son, it's not just anybody, it's her son, that she insisted that he become the emperor. Actually, she chose him and imposed him. So she represents all Persia. She is both the empress and the mother. From history, we know the queen's name was Atossa, but her name is never mentioned in the play. She is the highest-ranking Persian in the country while her son is away fighting in Greece. She is the mother, the country, and it is from her reactions that we start to see how the country must react to this increasingly bad news. She is like the, um, the, um, the axis of the play, the yeah. main axis. Everything, everything is referred to her, and we all look at her to see how she responds to everything that we hear, because she is Persia. As a symbol of just how rich and opulent this Persian court really is, Atossa is described as arriving in a chariot, doubtless with a whole retinue of attendants. This is a very fancy lady, daughter of a great ruler, wife of another, and mother of the current king. But instead of any grand behaviour, any defiant proclamations that all is well, she hasn't left the security of her palace just to come out and wave at her citizens and get some adulation from them. She needs the advice of the elders, because she has had a frightening dream. Last night we spoke about how the chorus is very much at the heart of Greek tragedy, but of course what elevates it from choral dancing to drama is the interaction with actors. In this play, there would have been two actors. It was later in history that a third was added to the mix that playwrights could use. These two actors must have been extraordinary, holding the attention of the entire assembled citizenry, speaking these complicated, richly detailed speeches. The Queen's first big speech is an amazing one, in which she has this startling dream. Here's Professor Edith Hall again, explaining what's going on. Yes, yeah, she she really does, uh, and it's it's 
an incredible set of images it, because it basically predicts what's going to happen in the rest of the play. Right? It, it both um, intuits what's been happening over in Greece. She's extremely worried um, because she sees these two images of these two, two beautiful women, one representing Asia and one representing Greece, and, 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 and the, uh, they sort of fall out. Um, and there's the horses that are pulling along Xerxes' chariot, and you know he falls out, and then she sees her dead husband arise, looking on and pitying him. And in a sense, that's a kind of uh, inverted form of everything else that we learn during the rest of the play, but in a very symbolic and, and mysterious language. I mean, Aeschylus was interested in dreams. Clytemnestra has one in the um, whole plot of the libation bearers in the Oristar is kicked off because she has keep, she's having such terrible dreams. And again, that's kind of predictive of the action in that play because he does come back and kill her. So there's a sort of what we would now call a metatheatrical aspect to them, that, that you have the dream which then gets sort of played out predictively. This language is complicated and metaphorical, as we will hear, but that's part of the richness of the play. The Queen herself is confused by these images, even as she describes them. Indeed, that is why she comes out to ask the advice of the chorus. We don't necessarily know the place of dreams in Persian culture, but even as far back as Joseph and his amazing technicolour dreams in Egypt, it was felt that they were messages to be interpreted. This was also the case in Greece, as Edith continues. But the ancient Greeks did all actually think dreams were predictive. They didn't think they were anything to do with the past or, or, or your subconscious. They actually did think they were predictive. Uh, we know that because we've got ancient dream manuals, uh, one in particular by um, a dream, professional dream interpreter called Artemidorus um, from much later. But we, we know that they all assumed that this would help them know what was going to happen in the future rather than we would probably say that it might bring up, you know, suppressed memories of childhood or, or uh, reveal deep, dark Freudian instincts. That's not how they saw it at all. But it's interesting to see the playwrights using it as another form of storytelling or imaging alongside choral odes. It allows you to, to think in quite abstract and symbolic and allegorical ways. And of course, because they were so used to listening to Homer, the, the Greeks had no problem with the long speeches with description and narrative in. So they had a, a much, I think, greater uh, attention span for listening and creating pictures in their own minds, which is what the Queen's Dream really encourages them to do. Where things start to get really interesting for us is the place of dreams in Irish literary culture. Dreams are a major trope in the Irish language poetry of the 18th century, as the dream of Irish independence haunted the poetic imagination. The Ashling was a particular kind of dream, very often described in poetry, in which Irish freedom or national liberty would appear in dreams to young men, attempting to inspire them to rise up for the cause. In the mid-1990s, in response to how frequently this important body of work tends to get overlooked in English language scholarship of Irish culture, Brendan O'Buachala wrote a massive study of the form, spanning well over 600 pages, and it's very stirring stuff. 
The idea of the Ashling continued well into the 20th century, as of course the cause of Irish nationalism went from a dream to a movement to real conflict. Two of the founders of the National Theatre, Lady Gregory and William Butler Yeats, contributed on a play called Kathleen de Houlihan, an Ashling play wherein, again, a dream woman appears and invites the young men of Ireland to go out and die for her. Juxtaposing these traditions feels immediately kind of exciting, maybe even transgressive. In Persians, an older woman dreams of her young son, while in the Irish dreams, it's the young man dreaming of his heroic sacrifice to come. Both of these dreamscapes feature women, personifying the respective countries involved. I think it's a thrilling parallel. Right now in Ireland, Druid Theatre Company is in the middle of a huge project called Druid Gregory, performing several of the plays of Lady Gregory at various locations in the west of Ireland. I'm thrilled that at the same time as she is appearing in Kathleen Nihulahan, that Irish dream play, one of our finest actors, Marie Mullen, has joined us for this project to play the Persian Queen and tell us about her dream. The chorus greets the Queen with very formal obeisance, matching the opulence of the chariot and the pomp of Her Majesty's entrance. But the Queen is rattled, not at all sure of how to interpret what she's seen, and certainly not the confident matriarch we might have expected from her entrance. Tom Clippia Gahen Ia Le Hilomat Taivri On Ur Adordimawak an Aram Agasgar Imilesh or Chi Chir Nahayona Kathli Akantairiva Viagamarer Vishe Arangyan Bavyovara a Haivrius Riv Nyosime Jive Tigudam Gar Haivshi Birch Wan Jaglestakum Banawanaku Fui Robi Pershaka the Queen explains that she has had several dreams, but that last night's was particularly vivid. In it, she saw two women, one dressed in Greek clothes, one in Persian. They were beautiful, almost like sisters, despite their national differences. She continues, A fight breaks out between these women, and Xerxes, her son, appears and tries to intervene. He attempts to harness the two, yoking them in his chariot. One of them accepts his control, but the other bucks against it, violently, and he's thrown from this chariot. The queen then sees in her dream that Darius, her dead husband, is looking on. The dream continues, with visions of eagles being attacked by hawks. Two very potent sets of images that rightly distress her. If it's helpful, you can read along on the website, where I've included an English translation. Ma verch drifor ein winchere eid. The war banaco ejir a han winchere, an greig, a helvishi tre cronker, is the war an van ele ejir na marbrach. Jairi asentus ejir an verch van sha, a taishiodam. Nor a foror ma wak an skel sha hama, the yenshe irak i the hunu agzechansu. The harshe fu king eid birch. Fuina Harbid, Agus de Horshe Strapa no Kringa, Fuina Skornak. Jari Banawanako Gohad is Gohorfrak Fuin Gnosha. Agus Hogshi, Nashrienta Gohol in a bale. Akan Vanella, the Yenshi Strakelch is the Harinshi Gofirkor and Uim Asankarbid, 
agus the harinshik of fiacor or ai egg an ainshreen, agus vrishi and kung in a smitherini. The hitch mawak as a garabut. Via ahar darius in aka, in inisha, agus vitrua egado. Nor a honig zarxis e, the strak shin a robi a vichimpelar a chowl. Shahid na ruddy a taif shiu dams an ihe. Akhtarish dam ayri agus malava a ni ivirishke a hilen on vancha, the hasis eganaltor, la hawan na hibrche i malava, ma the hasti wem joch a ofral dos na jehe, a koska na mio. A kadahonik a fjoller a glorag jijina or hinchan phoebus. An shin hanik shawak a gross le shkihan mara, a dro an ular, a gazeg straco a hind le nakroke. Nirav fwakle jenevig an yolar, a ka karpa hort suus go krihaglak. Tanan yehisha gapyak hoskan rul damsa mar ine, a gazetoshi jeevsia mar lukdej dipta. Mar ta isag of goma, ma irian lemawak, goma masmor ar, ak ma hepinar. Nilshe fragrak dum bubble. A ranguinyal, or noe, goduggin shena kosalesh, is ege ta flahish na chirisha. Once the queen has shared this image, the chorus tries to help. They suggest that Atosa should pray to the gods, and she should pour out libations to her husband's spirit since she saw him in her dream. The chorus does their best to interpret the dreams with a positive spin. A wahir, ni hastin wen e ni ra skanroi hu, no hyurach a nyumurka mwinina dich. Mas aula gawakatu rodegin a huaran on talk, impig erna jehe le padracha, agas iararhu an tubushte a wak, agas banachti a rinch artvein, erda chlan, agas erda chardjagulir. An son, sotara hoch, Ni morda jochana a hall dos na jeha agus dos na marif. An son, iar gaherach er de chela darius a chunig tu a reir, da reir jalrav jara a vrona orthvein agus er de wak an rasha a hortinis chunatolish o iachter na talon. Agus an mia eta da chunye a chumhet fui hala an narach da spuan. Is he shot on Horle, Cordul, a Hogamudich, O Echter or Grui, Fui Haringracht? Is he our Mirahunus, Gunyabiro, Nanihisha Mach Gamatich, Harrach Ean Sorchli? Is he shot on Horle, Cordul, a Hogamudich, O Echter or Grui, Fui Haringracht? Is he our Mirahunus, Gunyabro na nyehisha mach gamadich, har gach ean sochli. Next up, there is a little dialogue between the Queen and her councillors before she goes off to do these things, as she wonders about this strange foreign power that has threatened them in the West. Even if Darius had a slave reminding him to remember Athens, as we mentioned, Aeschylus can't resist a little flourish here. He's playing a little to the home crowd as the Queen asks these questions about Athens. The chorus answers with what little they might know about this strange city so foreign to them. 
Of course, the answers all highlight what the Athenians hold dear, and they would have loved hearing this. The Queen asks in what part of the world this city is situated. And do they have enough men to fill their army? And what do they have besides men? Do they have enough money to fill their palace? And do they fight with bows and arrows like the Persians do? And who is their king? This question is the big one. Never mind the previous answers, that Athens is a city in the west where the sun sets, where they grow strong men, men who did such damage to the Medes, a city that has a silver mine to supply it and feed it. This is the big question. Does Athens have a king? When Lydia Conyordu, whom you heard earlier, played the role for a Greek audience this past summer, the director had her repeat this question three times, because, to a Persian queen used to absolute monarchy, the answer is staggering. Athens was a democracy, and as such had no absolute leader. Even today, Greek audiences often applaud this recognition of their political system. The chorus bemused explains that they are not slaves, not subjects to any one man. In their surprise that a city ruled like this could ever hope to hold off the might of the Persian army, we hear the sound of a second actor making their way onto the stage. But that's for tomorrow night, for sure. I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Please feel free to get in touch via the hashtag at PersiansDTF for Dublin Theatre Festival. We're on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Persians, the podcast, is supported by the Arts Council on Cor Aline. It's written and presented by me, Connor Hanmerty, and produced by Maura O'Keefe. Tonight's contributors included Edith Hall and Lydia Conyordu, and you heard Marie Mullen as the Queen and Breedy Nachton as the fearless leader of our chorus. Our signature music is by Mel Mercier. Do join us again tomorrow, and I'll speak to you then. Oh, 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 oh,